0: Hello guys, uh, welcome one and all. This is me and Anirudh back with our podcast this for this week. We will be discussing about the recent matches which took place and also a lot of stories and build-up revolving around sports. And we will also explore the business side of sports in today's podcast. Uh, so Anirudh, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good, Sahil. How are you doing? Great, great. So really interesting few weeks of sports and you know, Uh, looking forward to get into the details of everything and present it to our viewers.
1: Yeah, I think it has been a good two weeks of uh, football, cricket, and then, you know, we had our F1 races, and uh, then we had a qualification for the F1 yesterday, and so, yeah, a lot of things to talk about.
0: That's that's absolutely right. So, let's dig uh, deep into it, and let's start with F1. Uh, because it's really getting a nail-biter and day and race race-after-race. And today, as we are recording this podcast, this is the second-last race of the season at the Jada Circuit. And it's really exciting to, you know, look forward to this race, because as we speak, Max and Lewis are separated by just 8 points, with Lewis on pole for tonight, uh, Botas at second place and Max at the third. So I'm really hoping this is what it remains at the end of the race as well, because that would really you know pull Lewis and Max literally one point apart going into the last race. It will, which will be another nail biter. So uh, absolutely at the edge of my seat for this one. It's going to be a cracker.
1: They're at a distance, right? I mean, he was he was by far the best driver last year, and no yeah. one was closer to him. And to, and this year. You know, we could see Max doing so amazingly well, Red Bull doing really well for, for the current year as well. And uh, it was a disappointment for Red Bull yesterday in the qualification. But, you know, as a fan, you know, it's always good to see, you know, such close battles between, uh, you know, two good racers. See, for the last couple of racers, you know, I think Hamilton was a was couple of points even behind than what he was right now. And with that, Sao Paulo victory. And then, and then, I think, I think that uh, the one before the Jeddah was Abu Dhabi, right? So, yes. you know, the victory there. Yeah, I think just amazing catch-up from Lewis Hamilton. Just like, like, uh, like race of the legends. And, you know, just amazing race Abu Dhabi as well.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, just to, you know, put it out, Abu Dhabi is the next one. I think we were talking about Abu the Qatar Qata one, right?
1: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The Qatar one. Yeah. Yes, That's exactly. also, you know. Amazing, uh, you know. Uh, I think he, he was he was starting pole at the time, and uh, he finished pole. So, so yeah, I think really good race. Really, be an interesting race tonight because uh, after yesterday's qualification, Max will want to start really well today, and uh, you know he will want to get that second spot at least between the first couple of laps, so that so that, you know, he can put a little bit more pressure on Hamilton. But, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton is, is, is Lewis. I mean, he's, he's one of the best drivers we've seen, I think. Mm-hmm. I, think so. I mean, I, I would basically put him on par with the other legends in F1 as well. So, you know, it's going to be difficult for Max. But, you know, as a fan, you know, we are hoping for a really good race today.
0: Definitely agreed. Uh, so, as you mm-hmm. rightly mentioned, I think at lagos which is the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, it really changed for Lewis Hamilton because I think uh, the the point that he was really trailing Max now at a huge margin, and plus he had, he had he was given a penalty. He was starting at back of the grid, so everything just you know uh, it, it, it actually pumped him up and it put a very. A, a, He put up a very classy performance that night because he knew if he doesn't perform today, it's almost it's over now after this because uh, Max would have just extended his lead and uh, uh, I was watching the race pretty closely. I was watching it every lap and uh, it was getting very intense at the end because Lewis started gaining on Max uh, lap after lap, lap after lap and the entire uh, crowd which was present never stopped cheering for uh, Lewis and Max, both of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a superb race because uh, everyone's reactions when Lewis overtook Max and uh, especially uh, the team principal, Toto Wolf, had a very amazing reaction to it, just trying to, you know, tell the race director that no matter how much penalties you put on, put on Lewis or our guys, we are just going to come back stronger every now and then. And that is what, uh, I think that was the big turning point of the season so far because that really like pushed Mercedes and Lewis both in a way that they can overcome uh, Red Bull and Max. And the tracks which followed obviously were at, a, at such a, a point that it always benefited Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and I think they have taken a complete advantage of that. And uh, uh, also, I have to mention this one thing, which is, uh, if you if you see so far, Lewis Hamilton was trailing, and even Toto, I think at one given point of time, I, I made a statement that uh, we would also look to you know pay attention for the next year or the next season. Uh, but uh, I think something has ticked into the Mercedes garage where Lewis made a point that we cannot let this, this slip away just because he's already leading. We have to, you know, show some character and fight back. Because I think this is the first time where such a close battle has happened between uh, for the championship since the time Mercedes have been winning. And this is the first time they have been challenged right face on. And instead of running from the challenge, they stepped it up. Lewis as a driver stepped it up, and you know, like it was. Because everybody was complaining, oh, he already wins, you know, in the middle of the season. He's already a, he's in the best car, this, that, what not. So, there, there used to be a lot of criticism for Lewis. But I think what he has done in the past few weeks is just incredible. It speaks a lot about his mentality to deliver that sort of a performance. And mind you, he's not a 20-year-old or 30-year-old. He's already at a very, uh, you know, senior age. And still he delivers this sort of, this sort of a performance. It's just uh, absolutely incredible to watch as a fan and obviously a great insight in the mind of a champion how to come back from setbacks and not let anything else affect him when he's in the zone. And today will be no different. so really, really excited for today. let's hope for the best.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know very well said I don't know about Lewis's mentality because I think just I think a couple of weeks back, I was watching one of his interviews on on YouTube. On kind of, that, that and when it was kind of after the last year's, uh, you know, walkthrough for him, you know, to the title, right? And when right. he mentioned that, he mentioned, you know, he was talking about his, uh, his background where his, his father used to work two, three jobs a day right. just to kind of get him that, that, that go-karting, uh, you know, uh, vehicle they could afford and, you know, and, and, you know, he came from a very, Kind of uh, different background, and and kind of he he pushed himself really well. Uh, he had a huge family support, and then you know also the fact that he reminds himself that you know like when he started his career, his his car number and his jersey number was forty four, and it is the forty four even now. So yeah. so he reminds himself every year that you know through all these new drivers coming in to the F one. You know, uh, it's always a new challenge, and he treats every year, every every F one session as as you know like a completely new driver, and he has something to prove for himself and so on. So you know, that's that's you know like you mentioned, it's like a mentality of a champion.
0: Yeah. Hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So because we have seen this across sports, it's just not uh, with F one or anything, but we have seen this across sports, where never the the top guys are always you know. Uh, Cornered, they have they always come back roaring and roaring very strong, and uh, that is what I love to, you know, witness during during the Interlagos race. And because uh, that was the point where if he didn't, if he if he decided to you know not push or you know get that victory, since because of everything was going against him, I think that would have really like it would have been a call on the on the championship this year because the lead would have extended by a huge margin. Because Max was already leading the race and there would have not been a fight back. I think we would have been already shutting off our TVs for tonight. So, really like, uh, uh, absolutely like an incredible job by Lewis and the whole Mercedes team. Uh, And uh, let's see now how these last two races, uh, uh, you know, wind up. And who is the champion of uh, of this year's, finally we'll get to know. Yeah, so uh, being on the Formula 1 topic, uh, there's one interesting thing which... uh, which uh, we need to discuss is the, you know, that shift in formula one, because I remember a couple of years ago, we just knew as formula one is just, is just this whole circus where cars just go fast. And then that's it. We had, we as spectators had no idea about it. And, uh, uh, so recently there's, there's been this huge shift amongst the number of F1 fans and, you know, the people following F1 has increased, uh, heaps and bounces. So, uh, Uh, I would like to tell everyone that this is uh, uh, a total effect of uh, how a new media group took over F1 in in the past 4-5 years and they have literally changed the the entire picture of the sport. Uh, We are obviously talking about Liberty Media. And uh, a really interesting point and a really interesting case study to look into uh, because the numbers speak for itself. The strategy has been amazing. They have pulled in the crowd. They have pulled in the revenue, and I think it's just going to go on and on after on and on after this. So yeah, Nirutani, any any points on this you would like to add?
1: You know, the initial credit to get Formula One where it is uh, is is you know to Bernie and You know, uh, as we were talking offline on this, he kind of kind of created that base for uh, for for getting Formula One in the map. Uh, and you know into the TVs of every every household right? Yeah. and uh, but then I think with 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 times and with the digital media at the moment, you know they they had to find a different way to kind of uh, reposition that the sport, reposition that uh, that prestige, that glamour, the technology, the speed of of, of this sport, and uh, so so you know that's why. Uh, like when I when I when I look at their marketing techniques, you know, it, all the companies that sponsor the the vehicles, the jerseys, mm-hmm. yep. you know, those are all really good good kind of marketing techniques as well. But the sport in itself, you know, uh, F one in particular, kind of putting out YouTube interesting YouTube videos, and uh, so that so those kind of things have really helped uh, F one to be become the sport at the moment, you know, because. I think uh, a couple of years back, not many of them knew about F1. But now, if you see, like everyone is, uh, like whenever there's a race, and everyone is locked in to see. Okay, what is the, how is the race going on? And uh, and so so yeah, I think you know I think credit to Liberty Media as well to kind of uh, you know have that change in a strategy in a marketing strategy. To kind of uh, reposition
0: the F1. Yeah, no, definitely it makes a lot of sense uh, because I was just uh, reading on you know what changed and you know how they have tried to you know uh, rebrand the complete the uh, rebrand F1 altogether. So there were a lot of these small yet very key changes which they you know started doing once they took over. Uh, which is the first thing is they changed the logo of F1, which is like pretty basic for everyone, but it actually it has a deep roots in marketing and you know to put the brand and put the image of F1 in, into people's uh, minds. So definitely like that is where they began with, and followed by they also st- they also uh, have a theme, uh, so so to say, an anthem for an F1 race before every F1 race so this is all this is all uh, which all you know resonates with fans and people across so whenever you see that image or whenever you hear that you know uh, theme uh, so you instantly recognize that it's from the f1 so that that is in a way trying to build an image in in in, in any fans subconscious mind that you know this is what f1 is now and this is what it, it represents basically so that was that might sound as a very basic change but it 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 has a very deep uh, a revolving process throughout. So that is how they began with. Followed by. Uh, so I've read this uh, piece where where they said that Bernie Eccleston was against social media completely. And if he saw any riders taking Snapchats or doing some social media thing in the in the paddock, he used to send them a you know like a like some uh, letter where he used to ask them to you know pay this, this this amount of fine for using Snapchat in the paddock and all of those things. So. Pretty old school guy and he never really adapted to the wave of social media. So uh, basically it, it's a key key study into someone if someone is trying to look for social media marketing and all of those things. So you realize the attraction social media has nowadays is just immense. Because as we are speaking about Liberty Media, they, there's not one app where they, where they don't have the F1 presence like, you can just browse and see F1 is right there in every social media. All the drivers, everyone has equal access. And the drivers, and obviously, are doing much more than they... Much more media, much more brand representations, and much more, you know... Uh, like, engagement, basically, has increased heaps and bounds than it was in the Eccleston era. Uh, that's happened. The, the access to the paddock was not at all uh, there for people before. But now, you have the VVIP and the VIP pass where if you get that you can be surrounded you know at the second floor of the paddock where you can see all the riders you know coming and going and you can have a very close by view and experience of the FN the FN experience Uh, so yeah so that has happened so more access more uh, reach and uh, you know more exposure to the fans and to people who love the sport has made it much more connection uh, uh, it's much more friendly in a way that people now can resonate it more. That's happened. And obviously we all know uh, the TV series with Netflix, which is Drive to Survive. And to be really honest, uh, it's not like I've been this F1 fan all my life. I've been following F1 since the first season of uh, Drive to Survive. And that is how I got into F1 and I've been like, hardly missed a race because I've been hooked to the sports, hooked to the races and uh, all the you know, the hype which surrounds F1 is just immense. I've been a MotoGP follower, but uh, I've, uh, all, like I've been a MotoGP follower since a decade now, and getting into F1 was, you know, a completely different experience. But now I understand, you know, much uh, in in depth what it stands for, and, you know, the entire media and, and the entire hype around F1. So basically, uh, getting Netflix involved, you know, putting this bra- imaging and branding of of F1 into people who have not been part of F1 or who doesn't know F1, so that played a major role because I am a clear example of that, right? So that has attracted a lot of uh, young uh, fans and especially in the age bracket of say 15 or even younger, say 12, 13, 14 years to say in the 30s, 30, 30 year old bracket because these are the guys who are mostly on the social media, on streaming Netflix and all of that. So, it definitely puts an image in your head that, you know, this is something I'd like to follow or, you know, something I'd like to be in touch with or, you know, uh, maybe go and visit the track and watch a race live. So, these are some yeah. key changes which definitely, you know, uh, propelled the image of our fun.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think, like, like how, how we would summarize it is, basically, they, they have done a data-first marketing strategy. So, like, like, I was just reading about this is that, like they have around 1.1 million data points that each F1 car pushes out per second through 300 sensors. So mm. just like, just imagine the amount of data that they are, that they are tracking. And in the past, that data was used by teams to make the cars better, improve the strategy and so on. But now, like they are using that data, uh, you know, the Liberty Media is using that data to increase kind of fan engagement because like like it's it's like like when you see a video you see you see the the uh, you you see their communication with the kind of your their communications with the strategy team and uh, and you also see the different kind of data points on screen when you are looking at one of their videos right so so i would say they're really amazingly they're using the data really well to kind of uh, increase fan fan engagement, and uh, and like one more thing that like to notice like F one you know uh, has has four generating business units. So race and promoters accounts for thirty percent. Broadcasters appoint uh, broadcasters are almost thirty eight percent of the revenue. Advertising is fifteen, and uh, and then the the other uh, areas of revenue are all seventeen. That shows how much kind of importance, uh, you know, they have, they have given to data and streaming services. I mean, because uh, in the past, we only used to see F1 races on TV, but now we can get it into Hotstar and all those streaming services as well. So I would say really amazing data first strategy is what, you know, has got mm-hmm. them so far in terms of, yes. in terms of their uh, revenue now.
0: Yes, also one very important point here is that uh, the way they have explained F1 through their YouTube channel, uh, through F1's YouTube channel is just immense because uh, it's immensely helpful to people because F1 is a very complex sport, right? It's not like uh, you would know everything about all the engines and all the strategy because it will take you time, but once you are into it, it takes a lot more than just knowing about the drivers and the cars. So their YouTube channel is just amazing because the way they break down races and the way they showcase each and every part of the sector and you know how the races how some some drivers are performing well and why the others are not so that's a, another so game changer and one of so the best parts of the uh, of f1 is if you go to the f1 youtube channel if you go to the playlist section you guys would find uh, this uh, strategy videos of different uh, race uh, racing teams where uh, so th- it's called behind behind the story or something like that if I'm not wrong where uh, you can see uh, you can hear radio messages between the driver and the and the entire strategy team discussing the race strategy as the race is going on so it's a very important important part and parcel of a, of a sport the strategy in any in any uh, in any sport basically but if you get when you get to hear the engineers and the strategy race strategy head discussing it and you know Planning it out, and when the when you see it getting delivered, and when you see the rider passing the another guy because of the strategy, because of the tire changes, and all of all of those things coming together, it's just it puts a smile on anyone's face because uh, it's it's just right there in front of it, front of your eyes. You have heard the communication, you have seen how it played out, and uh, yeah, it's just amazing to watch that. Agreed,
1: agreed. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, definitely, like, uh, they have taken this to a new level and we are hoping forward for the next season of Drive to Survive and also the new season of F1. Uh, the only thing is remains is to see who gets crowned as champion this year. Alright, so that was pretty much about F1 and now we move on to uh, our favorite sport of all time, which is obviously uh, football. And a lot has happened in the... In the in the world of football, so to say, and the major news has been that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of Manchester United was sacked, or in a way, as they say, said it was a mutual agreement that he has left the club, and uh, Ralph Ragnick has been appointed as interim manager for the club, and he's also going to take on take on consultancy role for after June July when the season ends, basically. So yeah, first thoughts about this a Yeah, I think uh, I think
1: it was I think it was coming for uh, from the United perspective, right? I think uh, I think it was just about making it final. But post the Liverpool match, it was almost certain that Ali does not seem to be the correct person to take us to the next or, or take United to the next step. And uh, but he but I was kind of surprised he still got a lot of games. To for the board to see that you know okay can he turn it around but unfortunately you know he was not able to do it but yeah I think Ralph Randnick is an interesting interesting choice like I have I have read about him you know like from from the stories from the media I've seen like you know he influenced uh, Thomas Tuchel Jurgen Klopp uh, then mm-hmm. you have uh, the Southampton manager and then you have Julian manager and so on, but, uh, but you know, I like I, I wouldn't say he influenced, but, you know, he was very pivotal in getting the German League, uh, you know, to make the German League more attractive. because, uh, like, when you see, uh, like, he has won, I would say, one trophy, for uh, one trophy in, 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 in a lot of years now, but... But, you know, the the, the progression and and the coaching that he has given to different teams, the setup in those teams and in those clubs in terms of the transfer policy, the way they operate and so on. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, he was very pivotal in such things. You know, for example, you know, you have the RB Leipzig. I mean, today you see a lot of young stars going, uh, uh, even Salzburg, RB Salzburg, RB Leipzig, right? So, Salzburg has so many young talent, you had you have the Sadio Manes, you have your Erling Haaland and Makes sense. uh Patrick even Firmino Sormi-
0: was yeah. recruited under his uh, supervision. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. So in that way, you know, he he knows what he likes. He knows he he has experience in uh, kind of building clubs to be successful in building clubs to generate talent and so on. So in that aspect I feel it is good for United because because uh because you need a manager who knows what he wants. Like 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 I, I wasn't sure if Ollie knew what kind of players he wants, but I feel Ralph has an idea, okay, like he plays a certain style, like get Pressing and he knows what kind of players he needs to attract in order to make that happen and uh so you know he 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 would be a little bit more vocal than Ollie with the board he will work with the board to identify such players to set up academies in such a way that generates such talent and so on and so in that way, it is a really really good i would say appointment from United
0: mm-hmm. but
1: like considering where United are at the moment you know uh Ralph is here for the long term. I mean, I think he's 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 going to be a manager for six months, but he'll move into a consulting role. So, I think the target for this season would be that, you know, just steady the ship and get us to top four and, you know, finish us as high as possible. And then the next manager will come over and take the reins from Ralph. And then Ralph will move to a more consulting role where he can... He can work on the side to assist the new manager in terms of setting up the operations of the club, which at the moment is, is, uh, is, uh, is, is, as for me is not as efficient as it should be mm-hmm. as it was in the past. Yeah. So, so yeah, in that way, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good appointment. And today is the first, his first game. So we'll get to see how, uh, you know, how, how soon his, his ideology would get instilled. Yeah. Uh in in United, and I'm hoping to see Ronaldo's first press.
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. uh
1: against the against the Crystal Palace defender. So, yeah.
0: He he did some pressing in the Arsenal game as well, <laughs> which is I was very surprised to see that uh, you know uh, coming out and you know trying to press the defenders, which was good to see. Uh, and you know rightly, like uh, you just put it out so perfectly because th- this guy has vision. This guy has some plans, as as we can see, and this guy is here for the long run. And this is what as United needed as a club. You know, they were in this uh, this box of you know, it was just very focused on what we had in the past. Everything was about the United way, the foggy way, and we did not try to you know break out of that image. Also, to say the way we operated, and now the times of times have changed. The uh, the way clubs play play football have changed, and we were not. Adapting to the newer generation, the newer style of play, and someone like Ralph, who has been involved recently, as you rightly said, with a number of teams, you know, trying to push them up into the into the into the into the top tier of football. So, if, if this guy is really like you know, he knows his thing, and if he is here for the long term, and it's really going to help us in a lot of many ways, because uh, uh, I was just uh, reading uh, one of his interviews uh, like uh, about United, where he said that. It's about the recruitment, but it's also about making sure every year we have academy players good enough to make it, making it into the first team. So one doesn't exclude the other. So that was a very important statement where he made sure that it's not, it's, it's not going to be where we just keep on spending money and keep on buying players. There has to be a lot of focus on, you know, our, our, our youth teams as well because uh, every successful club has a very strong youth setup. And uh, I really don't uh, remember some like players coming out from the youth system that often from United. The last one was I think Mason Greenwood, who made like a strong impact right away. And we need more players like these. We need players who would step up and you know who, who would be trained into this ideology of football right when they are young, so that we carry this Manchester United DNA and you know they can start performing right away when they are in the first team. They don't need to. They need. They don't need the time to adjust to a new style of play uh, so definitely like uh, really interesting times ahead and I I just hope that he doesn't fall out with the board because our board has always been notorious enough to getting things run by the way they want uh, so yeah that's going to be interesting to see because as I as I see what he is he's very you know like he's very opinionated he, he would like to do things a certain way and you, the United Board members are the exact opposite they always make sure the manager, the people in charge, always do what they are intending to do. So this will be a really interesting thing to see uh, as how the board adjusts to this ideology of this guy and uh, what are the changes which we would do in the coming uh, few transfer windows is, is going to be immense. Uh, as you rightly said, uh, today is his first game and really, exciting, really excited to watch because I remember that as a United fan, I had just stopped watching the last few games which they played under uh, Oli. So, yeah, like, uh, it's a a new beginning and I cannot wait to switch on my TV at uh, 7.30 in the the evening.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, like, how I see Ralph is that I I feel he's going to leverage data a lot. So, like, the same as what Liverpool have done, you know, because uh, they play a certain way, they need player output. Or expected output in right. order to, in order to, for, for the team to do well and so on. So I feel Ralph is again, uh, you know, like that, that professor slash, you know, data guy who might bring in that analytics aspect into the recruitment and, uh, you know, team management. Mm-hmm. So, and plus, like, one thing to note is that, like, like, we cannot judge Ralph, you know, based on his past because he has been managing clubs that did not have the amount of resource that United has or the team or the strength of the team that United has. So, you know, it, it might well be possible that, you know, Ralph would do extremely well at United in the six months as well because, you know, he has the, he has the players that he wants, uh, you know, in, or he can improve their productivity in mm. in through his uh, coaching. So, yeah, you know, in that way, I think it will be interesting to see
0: how makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. Uh, Very interesting, as we were discussing about uh, Ralph Ratnik's few interviews, where he made sure that, you know, uh, people, everyone around should know what is the role of a manager. And, uh, like, we always had this idea, you know, a manager is someone who just, you know, gets the players together, puts a tactic on on them and makes sure that they play according to the tactic. But, he made it very clear and it, it, it really like uh, made us think over to have a discussion on this topic which is, you know, what is the idea of of managing a football team and what is the uh, the, the core role of any football manager. Uh, so, uh, Ratnik in his interview made it pretty clear that, you know, uh, if you see a team play a certain way, without knowing a manager, you should be able to tell, oh, this team is managed by this guy. So, so basically uh, replicating the ideology of football which is there in the manager's mind onto the pitch is the job of the manager a manager should be really really focused as in a manager should have a clear idea of the way he wants to set his teams up and his team then takes that idea and puts it on the pitch so yeah. there, there is where, that is where the training and the uh, tactical sessions and everything comes into the picture. Next topic which we're gonna discuss is about uh, Liverpool. Obviously, because I think they have been on this strong run in the Premier League and they have been winning four ones and four nils and until last night where the legend stepped it up. De Havouki, <laughs> which I think I he's my personal favorite when it comes to Liverpool. I just love that guy. I don't know, like he doesn't even play that much, but he's my favorite, and he's one always gonna be my favorite. So Anirudh, uh, take it over. It's your team, and I know you have been having a great time watching them play. So yeah, put some light on it.
1: Yeah, I think this season is it's really really exciting and entertaining for Liverpool fans. Uh, I mean, I, I see, I see this this Liverpool team as the as the I think the 1718 team. Where, where Salah had scored around 45 goals or something like that. Mm. And, and we lost, we lost in the UCL finals, you know, at the, uh, that year. But, but I see kind of, uh, like this mix of 17, 18, 18, 19 and the champions, uh, you know, season team because I see that ruthlessness in the attack, but I'm also seeing that, uh, that weakness in the defense where we are opening up a lot which allows team to counter-attack and, uh, you know, create spaces, which uh, due to which we are also conceding some goals, which, uh, you know, in the title-winning season, we did not do it. But yeah, I mean, you know, nothing to complain at the moment. You know, I was... I was... Yesterday, just till the 88th minute, I was just watching the match, and, uh, you know, Chelsea had just dropped points. And I was like, please do not drop this or lose this (laughs) match, because... Because then you know, it's really important for the title challenge. And, uh, I was just really hoping that, you know, they pull off one, you know, pull off something from the, from the hat. And, you know, then came the legend Devok Origi. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's this really good kind of banner called, you know, in Liverpool that is football without Devok is nothing or something like that. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, like he's, I mean, he was this kind of player, you know, who, who was no, going to be known because, uh, you know, these four or five seasons. And, uh, you know, even though he not played a lot now and or whenever he leaves, you know, he's always going to be known uh, as the player who Scored two against Barcelona, who scored the winner in the Champions League, and you know yeah. who scored the winner against Wolves, and uh, so you know great, great guy. You know because he has not he's not complained about playing time. He knows that Jota, Firmino are always going to get games ahead of him, but he still you know uh, he still kind of comes on as sub. And uh, and you know he he kind of shows that same determination. Mm-hmm. So which is really good to see as a player. And uh, and again you know he I think at the moment Liverpool are above Chelsea in second place. So really good point yesterday to push to put that pressure on on the
0: title use well, perfectly summed it up uh, I think you should get a mini statue or something outside <laughs> Anfield because he's done he's been like you know su- such a monumental figure sort of mon- such a key part of, of of the playing 11 or you know as a, as a super sub as well whenever the team has been stuck in like really difficult positions and one of the Highlights of his career is obviously going to be the Barcelona game at Anfield. And he just, you know, buried them. And now as well against uh, against Wolves, as you rightly said. So, yeah, like, great guy to have who's not complaining and who's turning up and scoring goals for fun. So, yeah, definitely uh, that was a huge uh, shift in momentum to win the, win the game against Wolves last night. Because... Uh, West Ham defeated Chelsea, which is a shocker, a complete shocker because I was actually uh, in my, like, you know, I was thinking that, you know, maybe West Ham is going to, you know, dry off since, like, it's already been four, five months into the season. But they're really, like, they're really going strong and it's not, uh, it it would be, you know, wise to put them into the top four discussion now. Yeah, I think West Ham, like, even last year, uh,
1: they were very close to the Champions League, but, you know, they finished, I think, fifth or sixth last year so they showed that that you know they are able to challenge for you know those top spots and then they added a really good they added a lot of players and resources into the club investments into the club to to get there where they want to be and so that is kind of reaping a lot of benefits against uh, you know like we saw yesterday against chelsea and also what they did against uh, liverpool and uh, it's still kind of you know i have this theory that you know everything falls into place in the Premier League. So I still have this uh, concern that they might drop out uh, in the second half of the season.
0: But hmm. you know it'll
1: be it'll be good to see for a change. You know, West Ham or Leicester get the fourth spot, or you know, uh, at least have the fifth or sixth spots from the Europa League.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, Chelsea have now dropped to third place. They were leading the table. And it's just you know uh, it's uh, really like bizarre to see one one game you lose and you are now back into the third spot. So that just says that it says that this season is just going to be intense because we don't have now just it's it's not going to be a two horse race like it was in the past three three years. with City and Liverpool. I think Chelsea are now well into this as well, and it's it's just going to be you know it's going to get much better in the second half of the season as well because. Uh, uh, it will be key to see which team holds on to this sort of a run because obviously uh, UCL and or uh, the other league games will also be there to play to be played and uh, uh, the, and also the discussion of who is going to get that uh, number four uh, spot into that onto that onto the table because definitely West Ham uh, so far in the discussion let's see what happens with them. Arsenal is like I still don't think they they'll get the top four finish, but. Uh, Tottenham and Man United are definitely. I'm gonna still put them above Arsenal because uh, uh, the the squad which we have are, are still like much better than Arsenal. Uh, and uh, with Tottenham having uh, Antonio uh, uh, Conte and now with Ralph Rognick, there should be some sort of a, you know rebuild or some sort of a fight back for this season. So definitely, that uh, the will be key to see how this season finishes and who gets that uh, top four finish.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a tight,
0: tight season. Yeah. Yes, totally. So yeah, and that uh, that's about that. And moving on to the next part, uh, we we were discussing about this, you know, like how football has changed over the years. Uh, and uh, these days, uh, what we feel is that you know, it's, it's football is getting more and more physical about physicality, about running, pressing, you know, being like absolutely strong on on on, on 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 like you know like uh, making the opponent you know re- harassing the opponent by pushing him or maybe just putting a very key press and uh, as we were discussing we have also noticed that you know the, with the goals which we see are like six or seven seven times they are from uh, you know crosses from the full backs or a long ball from someone else so uh, yeah your take on this anirudh like uh, i've
1: been watching football since 2007 and uh... I've also seen a lot of clips prior to the Round Seven of of players like Zidane, Rickelme. You had your Ronaldinho's, you mm. had your uh, uh, then you had your uh, Ingenios, and then and then you in, you had your Messis, I and mean, Messi is still there, but you know the, the younger Messi. Mm. And you you had your Ronaldo's and yeah. uh, Luis Vigo's, and, and and a lot of other players, and that, I mean. I mean, you you sit in awe watching them because the way they used to run with the ball, the way they used to hit the pastels, hit those spot areas wherein the ball would just go into the net as well as, you know, go to the other other players' pass and so on. And uh, so that you don't see a lot uh, at the moment. I mean, you still have players like Neymar, Thiago and uh, Ozil and, you know, players like that who are... Very much technical and they are just really mesmerizing to watch when they play football, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that is, but that is not, you know, where the game is going. You know, I mean, I don't see a lot of technical players more. I feel with more and more usage of data, more and more usage of, uh, analytics, I feel, uh, you know, the game is turning more into a team sport now where where each player is complementing each other, and one player's strength is complementing uh, the other player's weakness, and you know, vice versa, and so on. So you don't need that that technical player in teams anymore. But mm. you need the right you need the right players in the right places in order to get what you want. So I mean, I I mean today I feel the most the team with most technical players I feel is City. Because the way Pep plays, yeah, right. uh, you know, players like Kevin De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, these are, you had David Silva, you had Laya two and so on, which, who are really technical players, who were, you know, really good to watch and so on. Mm-hmm. But now, I think the direction in which the game is playing, going, it's, it's more of running, it's more of pressing, it is, uh, it is, it is, it has become like a, like a team sport where uh you know one player has to complement the other i i still like to see that, that that technical brilliance i mean when i watch thiago in liverpool i'm just i'm just watching him play because because it's just that that really beauty that he brings to that football match mm. when he is when he is pumping passes you know through different styles and kind of looking for doing no look passes and you know finding really deep areas where you know no one Could ever spot such uh, passes, so you know such things are rare, but you know still there. But uh, but you know the way that the the sport is going through data, I feel you know more and more it'll it'll more become more about uh, understanding data. Okay, how what is the winning formula for the team, and then maybe you know developing players in such a way that
0: meets their needs. Yes, like, you have rightly, you know, put everything across. Uh, Yeah, because during our time, we have seen players like Pirlo, and Iniesta's, and Savvy's, and all these guys, you know, creating middle of the park. Always, the ball has to be central. The number 10 was a very important player. But, uh, as we see in these days, that the fullbacks are the ones who almost create the most number of chances by putting in crosses, and then just someone has to put a head or a leg. And then that's a goal, Most in the most cases. So, maybe for some viewers that would be, you know, interesting to watch and they would like to see that as well. That, that, that is also a key aspect of the game. And that is also a skill which one has to master, which is, we are not saying that. But when you see a ball, you know, like when it pierces through the field and it just falls rightly at the striker's feet and then he do, does that finishing, that is a different, uh, you know, it's a different uh, joy to watch that because uh, you have seen the ball, you know, Travel through through the field where players have been doing that intricate passing and you know trying to find gaps and spaces and uh, in the end trying to put the ball back off the net. So that is obviously one one key aspect as well. And because uh, because of the data coming into the picture, fit sports science, fitness becoming such a huge aspect of every every sport, so to say, uh, and more challenging and demanding styles of uh, of say sports. And uh, the way teams line up, the the tactics they have been playing, I think it all all boils boils down to that as well, uh, to the system which they are trying to play. Uh, but definitely, the fullbacks have now become the newer gen, that this generation's superstars, I would say, because uh, they have been creating, and you know, it's it's also fun to watch that. But we are somewhere, we both of us would like to still see that uh, intricacy in passing through the middle of the pitch and. Yeah, hoping to have more games where technicality is will play much better role than physicality.
1: It's a new trend where, you know, now the fullbacks have become the key playmakers in teams. Like I think for City, Chelsea, Liverpool, the fullbacks are the key parts of the team where when if the fullbacks are blocked, you know, it becomes very difficult for other players to create chances. I've seen it with Liverpool if Brent and Robertson are really well marked by the opposition team, mm-hmm. we don't have anyone from the middle who's able to push that passes from the middle, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And dictate dictate the game from the middle. And so that, you know, then kind of uh, you know proves that point that, you know, you need at least a midfielder who is
0: able to dictate the matches from the middle of the park. Agreed, agreed. So yeah, so the last thing which we had on a list of discussions for today is the the Ballon ceremony ceremony which just took place uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, what do you think, it Who deserved to win and who got the award? What is your call on this? Yeah, I think uh, you know,
1: I think number seven for Lionel Messi, and <laughs> uh, and I, I think it was it was expected as soon as he won the Co- the Copa America last year. Or was it this year? I, I don't remember. I think it was this year. So yeah. so, yeah, I think as soon as he won the Copa America, I mean, it was, I mean, everyone knew that, okay, he's going to win the Ballander. Because on one part, you know, we could argue the the concept of this Ballander and how the voting system is, uh, which I feel in a way is slightly biased. And so, but, you know, like but, like I think there was also the another trend of, Robbery that uh, that was that you know Robert Lewandowski did not get the Ballon yeah. which I felt, which I felt last year they should have. I mean, even though they did not have the ceremony of Ballon he should have received the award. I feel it was as simple as that because I mean, what numbers did he put last year? And this year again, you know, he put really amazing numbers. But uh, but yeah, I mean, when you have Messi and Ronaldo still playing and messi you know even though he did not have the greatest of years he still put up good goal scoring numbers for barcelona at the start of the year and uh, and the main thing was you know he won the copa america for for the first time in his life and uh, and an international award for the first time in his life and mm. so there was i feel there was no uh, you know denying the fact that you know messi was not uh, was not uh, the word I'm forgetting the word but but it's basically you know he was not undeserving but key contender uh, yeah exactly yeah yeah. I wouldn't say Messi was undeserving in that way but uh, but I felt the difference between Messi and Robert Lewandowski was the Copa America if Messi wouldn't have won the Copa America Robert Lewandowski would have been the ballot hmm. that. yeah that's, so that is yeah, the, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. that's that's really uh, uh, you know Like, you have summed it up pretty well, but uh, I would still, you know, be like, you know, Robert Lewandowski should have won this year as well because uh, of the fact that he's been consistent, like, for the past two years. And uh, obviously, it didn't happen last year as well because I think they cancelled the awards. But uh, even this year, he has been really phenomenal. And I, uh, I think Bayern has also won the league and I think one more trophy, one of the domestic cups as well. So... Uh, if if trophies are to be considered, uh, I think Lewandowski has won. Like I think with Bayern, has won it, and obviously the international trophy is missing from his cabinet, which is no doubt, as you rightly said, has made the key difference. But if you see the stats on paper, uh, it, it's almost quite similar. Like they are not that far away from each other. And in fact, this year they they started with this new award, which they said striker of the year or something like that, and that they gave that award to Robert Lewandowski. So, if that was the case, they should have reversed it and, you know, gave Messi the striker of the year and gave Robert Lewandowski the ballon door because, uh, uh, yeah, like it's obviously a bit biased and uh would uh, really love to see Robert Lewandowski winning it in the in the, in the coming few years and, you know. Finally ending this dominance of Lionel Messi because uh, yeah, as a Ronaldo fan, I really don't want him to you know win more and more Ballon d'Ors. So, yeah, that that is my bias. But anyways, so yeah, that's that's my take on the Ballon ceremony, and yeah, let's see how this season goes and what will what will happen in the next one. So we'll have another heated discussion or we'll have another point to talk on about the Ballon d'Or.
1: Yeah, hopefully Salah gets
0: considered higher yeah. of the ranks for the better Yes, but, was, uh, yeah. I was... Yeah. But uh, this, I think, uh, he, uh, because Liverpool had a very, like... Uh, he did, Liverpool didn't win yeah. anything last season, so maybe that hampered his chances. Uh, but yeah. the, the way he's playing this season and Liverpool win a Premier League or some uh, maybe a Champions League again, I think it's definitely he's going to be up there with the proper level and... and Robert Lewandowski as well, if they both of them had a great season, then I don't think so. uh, Messi is going to be there in the top two as well. I think he'll be the third third person in, in, in the order. But uh, definitely Salah now has upped his game to another level and every week we see that he's scoring, he's assisting, he's doing everything on the pitch and Klopp has openly said it that Salah is right now the best player in the world and we... All of us agree on that, and if this is if the, if he continues this, and I think the Afcon is also happening. So uh, sorry, the 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 Afri- Africans yeah. Cup of Nations, right? Even that is going to take place. So let's see how he performs there. If he manages to win that, I think then there is no chance uh, that he's not going to be competing for the award alright so yeah that's that was, uh, that was it guys for this uh, week's episode I think uh, we covered pretty much all we had uh, discussed about and uh, from F1 to football I'm uh, really looking forward to the next couple of weeks and get back to you guys as soon as possible with more such updates and discussions and things around sports and business uh, which will keep you intrigued and keep tuning into our podcast this is me signing off from my side And Anirudh? Yeah, this is Anirudh signing off. Well, I think it has been a good week. And, uh, you know, we hope
1: to bring you a lot of such content in the future.
0: Yeah, right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, definitely do share our podcast and keep the love coming. Thank you, guys, and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.